Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. A lot has changed in 10 years. Like, for example, on December 16th, 2013, the front page of the Toronto Star carried a story with the headline, Council Gets Stern Lecture to Play Nice. The piece, by Acting City Hall Bureau Chief Daniel Dale, opened like this. Toronto Council Speaker Frances Nunziata sometimes sounds like an exasperated kindergarten teacher. She sent the city's elected officials home on Friday with a stern three-page letter and asked them to be nicer to each other. Council meets today for the first time since the raucous November session during which Councillor Doug Ford argued with the spectators and Mayor Rob Ford made a drunk driving gesture and inadvertently knocked down Councillor Pam McConnell. And that story ran just a few days after Daniel Dale himself had served Rob Ford with a libel notice for having strongly insinuated he was a pedophile. The headline in the Star 10 years later to the day was, Council backs Rob Ford's stadium name. Chow leads 17 to 6 vote with fellow progressives opposing the honor for a chaotic ex-mayor. Here now is a dramatic reading of the motion that the Olivia Chow-led Toronto City Council just approved. Rob Ford served on Toronto City Council for nearly 15 years, serving as the councillor for Etobicoke North for 10 years and as mayor for four years. Sadly, shortly after being re-elected as city councillor in 2014, Rob Ford passed away. Historically, the city of Toronto has recognized former mayors with commemorative renamings which honor their service and spirit. For example, Mel Lastman Square at the North York Civic Centre, Barbara Hall Park, and June Rowlands Park. All of those who served with Rob Ford on council knew that he had two passions, representing his constituents not only across the city, but in particular in his home community of Etobicoke, and football. As Centennial Park undergoes a significant reimagining through the Centennial Park Master Plan, approved by City Council in 2021, the time is appropriate to consider renaming the Centennial Park Stadium the Rob Ford Stadium in recognition of his decade and a half of public service. A similar motion had actually been rejected uh, back in 2017 when it was advanced by then-Mayor John Tory. So what changed? Like, do we just look back more fondly on Rob Ford now? Because, I don't know, 2013 seems like a more innocent time, back when there remained a narrow hope that the future of the world might be better than its past, back when BuzzFeed whimsy was all the rage and Nazis were marginal in the public discourse? Or is there like a simpler explanation, one that is perhaps a bit less depressing, but also somehow even more cynical. Alison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, and I have a cold today, so bear with me. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Candleland, and I do not have a cold today, but who knows what tomorrow may bring. And this is Wag the Doug, a monthly podcast about Doug Ford. Part of the job of the premier of any province is wrangling, or more generously, working with mayors. Generally speaking, this is done through a carrot and a stick approach. 
an Ontario premier who has the vast resources of the provincial government behind them, tempts mayors with money to do things that Queen's Park wants. Premier Doug Ford has done things a bit differently than that. From cutting the fees cities can charge developers to cutting the size of Toronto City Council, Ford has been very combative with municipal leaders over the past five and a half years. But he also shocked politics watchers last month by handing Toronto's progressive mayor, Olivia Chow, one of the biggest W's I have ever seen. What do you think of the New Deal for Toronto, Jono? I don't know. I feel like I've been on the record on the show on many occasions saying I fully expected Doug Ford to strip Toronto City Council of the strong mayor powers should Olivia Chow win the mayoral by-election, which she in fact did. And yet not only has he not done that, but she seems to have been able to affect as, uh, work with him as effectively as she as anyone has been able to effectively work with him. She seems to have gone down the Krista Freeland path of managing to actually woo him and get along on a pleasant way. I mean, I think that was what Matt Elliott suggested she do back in when he was on this show in June, or just ahead of the election. It's like the look to that is like Doug Ford. If you supplicate yourself before Doug Ford, I hope I use that verb correctly. Uh, you know, if you make seem like you're really desperate for his approval, then he'll just treat you like crap. But if you kind of relate, try to relate to him as like almost as an equal or indicate that you hold him in a certain regard and that you see him as a peer, he likes that. He likes being chummy like that and he seems to respond better to that. I mean, it's always weird. I mean, politics is all fucked up because it's, of course, all policy filtered through politics, which in turn is filtered through personalities. But in Doug Ford in particular, it's weird that you sort of just have to like coax him or pet him just the right way in order to be able to get money to fund services and infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly telling that former Mayor John Tory did not get any of this New Deal out of Ford over the five years he was mayor. Uh, it was more than it was from 2014 to early 2023, so it was actually quite a long time. Oh right, he was mayor twice. Sorry, yeah. Oh, and just started just started the right, third right, term. Right, right, yeah. Um, but I feel like famously, I you know their their relationship was often characterized by that photo that was once taken at some sort of I guess it was a charity cricket tournament of Doug Ford pretending to paddle Tory with a cricket. Bat? I think bat's the word that they call them there. Should we talk about what's actually in the New Deal? I mean, I'm sure lots of our listeners have heard about it before, but it's probably worth saying the most major piece of it, which is that the city's going to upload both the Gardner Expressway and the Don Valley Parkway. Those are the two, if you're not from Toronto, uh, major highways, that one that runs through the south end of the city and another that runs north and connects the city to all the other highways yeah, the the gardener in particular is a major financial burden on the city because it is falling to pieces, but there's no real sense that anyone will actually tear it down. Um, and, you know, now that Doug Ford has out- uploaded it, there's definitely no sense it'll be torn down. But the major upside is that the municipal government, which has a lot less ways of making money than the province, isn't going to be stuck paying to fix it, um, which is huge. It's huge. To take them off the city's back does mean, on the one hand, the city has less control over them, such as, you know, should they be there? How high from the ground should they be? <laughs> uh, on the other hand, 
Yeah. I mean, anything to free up the city's money to do to spend on things that are not rebuilding highways through the sky is is generally a positive, even if we will still then have the highways through the sky. The province is also giving the city $750 million to buy new subway trains for the TTC's Line 2. That was something that the city was running up against because they, I guess, are desperately needed and they just don't have them. And I think maybe canceled the purchase of them earlier this fall. And now that they, they can actually purchase them and a bunch more money for homeless shelters for other TTC-related things and, yeah, just operating more of the TTC or paying for the operations of more of the TTC, all kind of on, like, five-year timelines kind of thing, three-year timelines. But, again, still, it's, like, a huge win for Chow, and it just is very interesting that, that yeah, she nailed this down and, and John Tory most certainly could not the, the trade-offs, I guess we should mm-hmm. get to, uh, the major trade-off is that Chow will not pursue any roads, not literal roads, metaphorical roads to try to slow down construction at Ontario Place, where Doug Ford, as we've discussed before, uh, is allowing the development of a giant spa, cutting down lots of trees to do so and building a giant parking lot. I'll get to that because there was a trade-off with the parking lot, too. Basically, the Ontario place is Ontario land, most of it. Parts of it are city land, but the majority is not. By all accounts, it would have been very challenging for the city to, if not impossible, for the city to slow down the project for long and definitely to to get it stopped. It's provincial jurisdiction. So trading off the not fighting over it is pretty minor, ultimately, even though I think it disappointed some Chow supporters who, you know, voted for her because she said she would stop it or try to stop it. And now she's not going to. But the other trade off was the giant parking lot that they're building for the spa. And now instead of building it on Ontario Place, lands, which was always a pretty bad idea because those lands are <laughs> made of uh, piles of rubble in the lake uh, and, and building an underground parking garage <laughs> in that environment is clearly challenging. Uh, they are now going to put it um, at Exhibition Place. So that is an area just over the Gardner Expressway that they use to host a large fair every year. But the rest of the time, it's kind of a dead zone, honestly. Uh, There's like some convention buildings and a theater and uh, the police keep their horses there. But (laughs) now there will also be a parking lot. There's also already lots of parking lots. So one more parking lot at Exhibition Place. Again, that's like also kind of a win um, on the Chow side. So yeah, she nailed it. And I guess Doug Ford loves her now. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was never going to be... um... Thermi project was never going to be won or lost on a legal action or obstruction from the city, given that the province, as we've discussed before, can change the rules and change the laws at any time. It's the the duck amuck scenario where they can just, you know, he Doug Ford's the cartoonist redrawing the the, the entire framework in which the city is existing all the time. But the city could have attempted to hold it up and draw it out of the process via legal action to make the province work harder for it until such time as, for example, auditor generals or ombudsman's reports about the Thermo project come out and perhaps there's uh, the public opinion shifts and there's less political will to go forge forward with it. 
Yeah, so the city in that respect has basically yeah, washed their hands of it. In theory, officially, those were the trade-offs. But, you know, there was maybe also something else that Doug Ford was interested in seeing happen. Yeah, so the other thing is, as we mentioned off the top, the renaming of the Centennial Stadium to the Rob Ford Stadium in Etobicoke. Officially, Chow told reporters last week that she supported this motion, planned to support the motion, because she knows the pain that people feel when they lose a loved one. She, of course, her husband, Jack Layden, uh, passed away several years ago. So she does know that. Uh, and I think that maybe is perhaps a way that her and Doug have bonded. I think that's possible. Doug's loss of his brother quite young. Uh, and she denies that it has anything to do with the new deal that she just signed with the province. So this was, you know, it's not on the record as a part of the deal. But... According to reporting from the Toronto Star and and what Olivia Chow said last week, so the motion came from Councillor Paul Ainsley. He told Chow in November, early November, that the Premier wants to name the Centennial Stadium after his brother. And early November is exactly when the New Deal was being negotiated. So, yeah, even if it wasn't official, I think that Chow knew it was probably in her interest to not put up a fight about that in exchange for billions of dollars. And I mean, it's one of those things like, well, yeah, of course, it all makes sense. But then you step back a moment and you look at it and it's like, well, that's really, that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of fucked up. Like, obviously, there was no direct or explicit quid pro quo. They've, everyone's been emphatic about that. But by all appearances, <laughs> a component of getting on the pro the premier's good side and uh, encouraging that he fund the city to an adequate degree was naming a piece of infrastructure after his late brother. That's not how governance is supposed to work, <laughs> although I think we all know that in practice it too often does. And again, it's like the whole thing is another example of Doug Ford going above and beyond for Ontario Place. Like, he really just has a major focus on this and wants it done, like it, making that the only trade-off to this. And I feel like that's interesting because it it goes back to, like, him and, and Rob's um, history of, like, just obsession with the Toronto waterfront and wanting to build a bunch of crap there. Yeah, like, his two kind of big legacy items really are going to be it seems like the spot Ontario place and the Ontario line subway system, which is ostensibly started construction, but it's probably going to take most of the rest of my life to finish. But again, like subway obsession, that's like another city council, Doug Ford, uh, Rob Ford obsession. So it's like, we, yeah, 10 years have passed, but <laughs> some things, lots of things really have stayed the same. Yeah, we often talk about how Doug Ford has... I mean, I guess everyone has greater interest in the things to which they have, or they are more proximate, the things you're closer to. You necessarily, almost necessarily have greater focus, fixation and on and interest in. But for Doug Ford, certainly the things that he can visualize, the things around him, I, you know, to him, I, I suspect that Ontario's North is as much of an abstraction as it is to me. Whereas 
I guess he can picture the parking lot at Ontario Place the same way I can picture the parking lot of an Ontario Place. And it is odd and weird and but perhaps not surprising to have a government where it is based around like what's in his immediate vicinity where on the one hand, he doesn't really seem to like Toronto or the people of Toronto too much and seems to be a lot of resentment and decatur people outside Toronto. But at the same time, he seems to only really mostly be interested in tinkering with Toronto and its immediate environs. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it is. And I feel like we don't like think about Doug Ford in those terms very often anymore. It's kind of like how wasn't the thing with uh, Rob Ford that he hated bike lanes and streetcars because he drove all the way down Dundas Street from Etobicoke all the way to City Hall and you like get stuck behind a sub or a streetcar uh, or, or bikes on that and it slows you down. So again, like that's like very immediate vicinity. So I don't know, kind of a similar thing. And it's interesting, like, all the mayors were talking, we're talking about Doug Ford's relationship with mayors in the show and all the mayors and people were talking about, these are all within the greater Toronto area. He doesn't seem to pick fights with the mayor of Ottawa as much or doesn't seem to have really complicated – I mean, maybe he does. I don't know. I've never really paid much attention to Doug Ford's relationship with Mark Sutcliffe, if that's, that's his name, <laughs> I believe. Yeah. No, his interest seems seems very much here, which, uh, you know, if he, were, if he were a better premier, might actually be a good thing. <laughs> well, even him getting involved in the last Toronto, the mayoral by-election, that was like – I mean, he wouldn't have done that for any other mayoral election, I assume, other than maybe Brampton, and we'll get to that. Um, but like he was calling out Olivia Chow like crazy during that campaign. He was saying that she was going to be an unmitigated disaster, that she was like basically calling her a communist. And he was backing Mark Saunders, the former police chief, and who did terribly. I think he got like 9% of the vote. So I wonder if there is like a piece of it where like, I mean, that is pretty embarrassing for Doug, right? Like he he did put his heart into it um, on that campaign to try to get Saunders elected and it totally failed. So maybe there is a small piece of him that's like, all right, well, <laughs> I don't have <laughs> I don't have a lot of a leg to stand on when it comes to negotiating with the new city hall administration. Maybe. I mean, certainly Doug Ford is someone who tends to defer to to power. Mm -hmm. Does he see Olivia Chow that way? Maybe. Maybe the, by virtue of the fact that he's winning, he ha she won, he has respect for her in a way he didn't have for Tory. But I know because Tory the first time he was elected defeated Doug Ford and the Tory the second time he was elected, the second and third time he basically um, didn't face a serious challenge. So didn't have any sort of reason to have to obtain a significant mandate. Doug likes a winner. So speaking of regions that Doug Ford has taken an interest in, uh, there's probably none more so, other than the city of Toronto, than Peel region. Last week, the Ford government officially announced it will not proceed with the dissolution of Peel region, something that the premier had promised ex-Mississauga mayor Hazel McCallion he would do when she was on her deathbed. Aside from this being a pretty wild deathbed scenario. It also marks another major reversal for the Ford government, which is something it's becoming increasingly known for, basically just reversing all of its policies that it enacted since being reelected. It's weird to think of someone like on their deathbed just whispering, dissolve Peel. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so the dissolution of Peel would have made Mississauga, Caledon, and Brampton single-tier cities 
And the Hazel McCallion Act was enshrined in law just this spring. Mississauga has long wanted this to happen because as the biggest city in Peel with like the most developed property tax base, the regional governance model required it and its residents to pay for a larger share of services in the region. So meaning basically like the Mississauga taxpayers' dollars helped cover the cost of things like paramedics and policing in Brampton and Caledon because through the region, they all like shared those services. In May, when the PCs announced this plan, they said that giving the cities greater autonomy would increase efficiencies, cut red tape, and allow more housing to be built. That's what they say about everything, though. I was always personally kind of unclear on the latter, like what the housing aspect of that all was, but that was kind of their excuse for doing a lot of stuff uh, over the past year. But now the province is completely backtracking, claiming that the transition board that was appointed after the Hazel McCallion Act passed allowed them to figure out that dissolving the region will, quote, cost people a lot of money. That's what Paul Calandra, the housing minister, said last week. And that is mostly the people of Brampton. I feel like this transition board part of the story is kind of hard to believe. Like Mississauga had been clear on why it wanted to be its own city because it would save it money. So if dissolving regional services was going to save one city money, by definition, it would have had to cost the other cities more money to pull up the slack and keep services the same. Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown, he has been like very against this from day one because uh, he knew that it would save Mississauga money and cost Brampton more money. He over the like last week, I think, or the week before, he started touting this Deloitte report that says that it will cost Bramptonites $1.3 billion over the next 10 years if the uh, region were dissolved, although he won't show anyone the report, uh, which is kind of strange. So yeah, Peel region forever. And now the P PC's line is that actually Hazel McCallion would have wanted it this way, actually. But when you say uh, we're going to hurt public health, we're going to hurt social services, we're going to split up the paramedics, we're going to split up the police, and we're going to raise taxes, you know what Hazel would say? We can't do it. But she would say, give me more powers on a local level, which we're doing, uh, to be able to build homes. And that's, that, I know that's what she'd be saying. And the other people I've talked to her that have known her very well would say the exact same thing uh, to her, and she'd agree. It's probably a Latin term, I mean, to build a rest, but there's probably a Latin term for it in terms of like the person's dead, you can project onto them what you want and however you want to justify it. And sort of in the same way that, you know, He's used the um, promise of making it easier to build houses to pass, you know, whatever the fuck, uh, to be able to sort of just retroactively justify or rationalize. Oh, yeah, no, she would have wanted it this way. And I guess, yeah, she's not longer around to contradict him. And I don't know how her family feels. But also, you know, deathbed promises, another maybe not great way to govern. <laughs> You don't really hear people talking about what dead people would want very often. It's just kind of strange. I think in the States you do. I get the impression that like most constitutional jurisprudence in the States is around trying to figure out what dead people would have wanted. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. 
and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. So what happened in the meantime um, between Hazel McCallion's death and last week? Well, that thing is Bonnie Crombie. Bonnie Crombie is the new Liberal leader of Ontario as of the first weekend of December. She is also currently the mayor of Mississauga, was a big uh, supporter of dissolving the region, but she's going to leave that job in the beginning of January and and just be the Liberal leader, which makes her ostensibly Doug Ford's biggest electoral rival ahead of the 2026 provincial election. Do we know when she's seeking a seat in the the legislature? She hasn't said. She might just not, unless like one opens up in Mississauga. But she said that she probably won't. Like there's one open seat right now, which is Lambton, Kent, Middlesex, um, Monty McNaughton's former seat. And she said she won't run for that one because she doesn't live anywhere near Lambton, Kent, Middlesex, which kind of signals that... None of those three? None of those three. (laughs) Kind of signals that getting a seat is maybe not her priority, which honestly might be smart because no one really pays attention to what's going on in the legislature really anyways. And this way she can fundraise or meet people or whatever leaders do. (laughs) Shake some hands. But we'll see that anything could happen, I suppose. I'm sure she'll run for a seat in 2026. When the PCs announced that Peel Region would be dissolved, it was right around the time that Crombie was like mulling whether or not she was going to jump into the liberal leadership race. So there was like rumors she would, but I think she hadn't like fully said yes yet. And I think, um, I guess the PCs obviously never said this out loud, but it was like largely implied that they thought if they gave Crombie an independent Mississauga, maybe she would choose to remain mayor instead and not run for liberal leadership and become their electoral rival. Um, But that's not how it went. And it was only like a month after the Hazel McCallion Act was announced that Crombie formally launched her bid. So I don't know. I mean, I wonder whether they were just like waiting to repeal the act until like two weeks after she won the race. Like, I guess so, because nothing's really happened other than Patrick Brown's news release in like, you know, this particular window. Like, I think they were just waiting to drop this bomb for when she first got elected to like fuck with her. Right. There's no, the timing, like that's the only reason the way the timing makes sense other than they're reversing tons of stuff right now. But yeah, I mean, they realize that just generally they don't have as much political capital as they had even a few months ago. And there maybe are being a little bit pickier about where and how they choose to spend that. I guess, but this like 
this could have been punted down the road. Like it wasn't supposed to happen that fast anyway. Like I said, there was a transition board that's like never even put out a report or anything yet. Like there was lots of time to backtrack. And it seems very pointed that they chose right after she, she won the liberal leadership. I mean, if that is the case, it's because the PCs clearly see Crombie as their biggest threat. She has a lot of perceived ability to pull support to the liberals in Mississauga and the rest of the 905. Mississauga is where the PCs, I think, have all of the seats right now. They have all of the seats in Brampton. You know, the fact that that Crombie was a popular mayor in the 905, like, that could mean they lose some of those seats, like, frankly. So their strategy now seems to be, well, we got to be nice to Brampton so we can keep our seats there uh, if we're going to lose some in Mississauga. And I think this also means that Highway 413, which is we've talked about, it's the highway that'll run north of the 401 to tackle traffic congestion in the Brampton area. That's going to remain top of mind for the Tories and something we're going to hear a lot about in the next two and a half years. Hmm. So another long-running comical mayoral relationship that Doug Ford has had is, of course, Patrick Brown. The plan to dissolve Peel is also perceived as a way to screw over the mayor of Brampton, Patrick Brown, who was, of course, also uh, Doug Ford's predecessor as leader of the PCs. We haven't talked too much about Brown on this show, certainly not recently. But, you know, the deep hatred that much of the conservative establishment has toward him does underpin a number of provincial policy decisions. You know, after Tim Hudak bungled the 2014 provincial election, resulting in a majority for the Kathleen Wynne Liberals, the PC's brain trust wanted Christine Elliott to become leader. But Patrick Brown got in the way of that by, you know, hustling pretty hard. I think he, I think uh, Mark Tuohy, who was one of Rob Ford's former chiefs of staff, was help running or helping run Brown's campaign. And, and somehow, surprisingly, he defeated Elliott in the leadership race and he became the leader. He was a 37-year-old conservative backbencher, which is so weird because that's younger than I am now. So, but he was a backbencher on Parliament Hill. That's the thing. He's a, he's a he was an MP and very much an outsider at Queen's Park. And the PC caucus never really took to him as their leader. Uh, there were lots of little scandals that grew bigger and bigger when he announced his support for a carbon tax, which was a, you know, a fairly counterintuitive thing for conservatives to do then and still to an extent now. After sexual misconduct allegations against him were reported by CTV in early 2018, he was very publicly abandoned by even his closest advisors and basically forced to step down as leader, something that, you know, he didn't really want to do as he, you know, emphatically denied those allegations. And then he tried to run to replace himself as leader, and that didn't really work out either. <laughs> well, the running to replace himself was was very funny. But then what was also funny was that uh, so he said then that he was going to run in the Peel region elections, which were uh, about, I don't know, six, oh, six yeah, months yeah, yeah. or f- four months after the provincial election where Doug Ford won. He's like, I'm going to run to be a Peel region councillor. And Doug Ford's like, actually, we're not going to have Peel region elections. <laughs> They're going to be appointed now. So no, it was gonna, he was going to run to be the chair of Peel region, right? They were going to have an elected chair of the region. And he was going to run for that chair position. Yeah. And then Doug Ford pulled the rug out from under that. Exactly. Eliminate, eliminating the, yeah, I think it was on the July 27th or whatever, 2018 thing, where this basically in the same fell swoop that he cut the size of the city council just before the deadline to, I think, submit nomination papers. Yeah. He also eliminated the uh, direct elections for chairs of Peel and Durham regions. Maybe it's your Peel and York, I think. 
So then Patrick Brown did what anyone would do, which was almost immediately after news broke that Doug Ford would be canceling that Peel region election, he got in line to file his papers to run to become the mayor of Brampton, an election he managed to win despite it all. So there's like a sense among conservatives in Canada that Patrick Brown ain't going away. They don't like him, but he really has an ability to hustle votes, uh, particularly from minority communities. And he's just like always a few steps away from taking power of another party. He tried that during the most recent Conservative Party of Canada leadership contest, which he was ultimately disqualified from by the party for allegedly offering to pay volunteers via a private corporation for working on his campaign. It's not worth getting into the details, but there's like definitely a sense that the CPC was just waiting for whatever opportunity they could to kick him out of the race. Like, aside from that, there were like murmurs about him not signing up people correctly and like Everyone in the conservative, both conservative parties wants him so far away from them, but he does not care and he will keep trying. And I think whenever there's a, a PC leadership race to replace Doug Ford, Brown is going to be like right there, ready to run. Oh, yeah. There's more Patrick Brown electoral controversies than I think most people even know or remember. I did a, a deep dive into this like a year and a bit ago in relation to an episode of our Candlelands Monday show and just going through the newspaper archives. And there is a lot of stuff going back to his very first like run in 1998. I think he was he was 19 that people don't remember or talk about. And virtually every election that he's contested since, there have been accusations or controversies of one sort or another. But I also feel like, I mean, I'm not like on Patrick Brown's side by any means, but like those are also the kind of things that happen more when people don't like you, right? Because there's like solidarity in the party to like not go to the media and talk shit. But if someone, people don't like you, they're going to go do that. So I think the number of controversies he's in is directly related to the fact that everyone hates him because messy stuff happens all the time and we just never find out about it. And in his case, we always find out about it or often find out about it. Yeah. I guess I inferred that people didn't like him in part because of these, the various controversies and practices and things that he, things that have been alleged to be improper or inappropriate in various elections and a history of that. But you're right. Maybe it's a, a, a chicken and the egg situation. Maybe it's a, it's actually the maybe it is the other way around. I hadn't I hadn't considered that. After Brown was disqualified from the Conservative Party of Canada leadership last year, he immediately once again turned around and began to campaign to run for re-election as Brampton's mayor. This starts getting into Ontario politics or wag the Doug world because Doug Ford insider pollster campaign aide Nick Kuvalis leapt to work on the campaign of Brown's rival as a woman named Nikki Cower. A bunch of people got behind her and were like, you will replace Patrick Brown and we will do everything in our power to uh, make that happen. And so Kuvala spent the, like the entire campaign just like hurling insults at Brown on Twitter, like to no end. Sample tweet. Patrick Brown is in it. Yeah, I'll, I'll imagine this is how Nick Wallace talks. Patrick Brown is in an ethical, immoral, shameless, lying, self-centered, 
boy. After 18 years in this business, I have never met a more dishonest, deceitful, narcissistic boy. Time for change in Brampton. He, he doesn't actually talk anything like that. <laughs> Brown, ever the hustler, though, won re-election in a landslide and remains mayor of Brampton. So all of that backstory is to say that, like, I think the original Peel dissolution, much like removing the elections for Peel regional chair, seemed like it was, I mean, maybe not quite as much as that one, but like in a part, a slight to Brown. Like they knew Patrick Brown didn't want it, that to happen, but they were just like, eh, fuck him. Yeah, it's interesting that by flip-flopping on it and now planning to repeal the Hazel McCallion Act, uh, the PCs are now doing him a favor. Like Ford and Chow or Ford and McCallion or Ford and Tory. It's an example of like how the personalities of politicians and all their random grudges can animate policies that ultimately affect millions of people. Governing is fun. Bonnie Crombie? Oh, the new Ontario Liberal leader. Of course, friends with Justin Trudeau. Her first act as leader, asking donors for a million bucks for her salary. And she's always been a big fan of a carbon tax. She even increased taxes as mayor in this economy? Oh, tax, tax, tax. Sounds expensive. I feel like we probably shouldn't play the whole thing because I feel like they should have to pay us for that. But they certainly got the tone correct in terms of Bonnie Crombie. That's I, – I don't know sure if I've actually seen a political ad capture the reaction to a politician as well as, well as, well as like Bonnie Crombie. <laughs> I mean, yeah. What do you think of that ad? They seem very excited. It seems very animated. And I mean on the literal sense of it has the words tax, tax, tax flying at you in flashing colors. And I, I kind of appreciate the, the boldness of that. I appreciate the sneering. It's actually – I find it – Amusing, but unsurprising. You know, it's like if someone tried to make a motion graphics little Vox video out of a Nick Kuvalis Twitter thread, taking away the word "boy." I, I don't know. It, it, what, what do you, what do you think of it? Um, I mean, it's fine. I guess it's interesting the timing that they are immediately putting out these ads, like as soon as she became leader. Um, when that like very much feels like an election ad, I guess, um, when we're clearly not at an election. And I mean, you know what? The PCs have fundraised a lot of money over the past few so years mean. with all yeah. their fancy leaders dinners and expensive, uh, yeah, fundraising galas and cocktail hours. Like, it's not surprising they... Uh, this is exactly what they want to spend it on. Like, it kind of feels like this is what's actually fun for them. Um, and, it, you know, they would say it gives them the opportunity to define Bonnie Crombie before the public gets to, right? Most people, unless you're from Mississauga or maybe Brampton or maybe Toronto, don't know who Bonnie Crombie is, although she was an MP um, before, just like Patrick Brown, although a liberal MP. Yeah, I guess they want the public to think she's an elitist who loves Justin Trudeau and the carbon tax, which like on its own is probably true. <laughs> like she um, assumably is a fairly elite being a mayor and a former member of parliament and I don't know. She dresses pretty fancy, but they are also like leaning on a few inaccuracies and hypocrisies um, in how they're painting her. Um, they keep saying that she has a house in the Hamptons, 
which I did a property uh, record search uh, earlier this month to try to find out if that was true. And I found out the house is actually in like a suburban part of Long Island that's closer to Queens than it is the Hamptons. So it's a waterfront house, which she inherited from her aunt and uncle. It's not what you would think of when you think of the Hamptons, because it's literally just not the Hamptons. There's also a, I don't know if you caught this in the in the ad visuals, our, our listeners would not be able to see it, but there is a photo, kind of like paparazzi style photo, like it's just a photo taken across a parking lot of her climbing into the front passenger seat in a Maserati, which is funny because it's like she's not driving the Maserati and it's not her Maserati, but it's just like uh, this lady's been in a Maserati. <laughs> oh, is that what you're asking me recently about Rob Ford and his Cadillac Escalade? I was, yes. Ah, no, but is this, so that, that's why you're asking me because because Doug Ford had gotten Doug and Randy had purchased Rob Ford in a Cadillac Escalade, upgraded him from his Chevy. I want to say Impala. It was not an Impala back like in 2012 or so. Yeah, no, that was why I was asking because okay. she was. I think the PCs had accused her of like driving fancy sports cars or something. Like the day that she won the leadership, and reporters asked her, and she's like, "No, I drive like a fleet vehicle that." Mississauga owns basically she's like I don't even have a car but yes what this brings up when I said hypocrisies is that like clearly Doug Ford also has many houses and bought his brother a car as you said and and is like probably overall I would assume a lot richer than Bonnie Crombie I would think so I would imagine so I mean she was at a one-term MP he was a mildly successful business leader who inherited a successful business from his dad and made it a little bit more successful than a lot less successful. <laughs> but who owns like, well, just sold his house in Etobicoke for $2.7 million last year and now lives in his mom's house, which like I assume he owns now. I guess we don't know that for sure who's on the on the papers for that, but that house is massive. He also has a cottage and I think a, a place in Florida. So like, it's like, it's not that different. It's not different at all than having an inherited house in Long Island, right? I mean, Allison, if you had excess money, wouldn't you use it to make little animated videos about your enemies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, watch out, Jono. If I get Christmas cash, I'm coming for you. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, not that Doug Ford has the fanciest tastes, but yeah, I, I mean, he does famously drive good cars. I mean, his brother, yeah, Rob Ford, he drove a, I think it was a Chevy Uplander up until maybe circa 20, but a year and a bit into his mayoral term when Doug and his other brother, Randy, bought him a, a Cadillac for him to drive around to in a more befitting of a station. I believe it was purchased or purchased by or at least registered to Deco Labels, the, the business. But yeah, no, Doug Ford is not a, a person of modest means. And if he is, um, I mean, he very much attempts to project a significant degree of his success, whereas Bonnie Crombie, I mean, it's it's a lot of its misogyny too, right? I mean, maybe that goes without saying in terms of attack ads against a female politician or pretty much any discourse around a female politician, especially in Canada. Yeah, portraying her as about some fur-wearing, sports car-driving, rich – I don't know. Like, would you think they'd be going after a guy in the same way or do you think it would – or maybe they would. I don't know. They don't really go after Patrick Brown this way. Ben Patrick Brown, I don't know what his property, his property situation is actually kind of weird. Yeah, he one of his scandals was that he was renting it out on Airbnb and not claiming the cash as a 
extra earnings, I think. Yes, they're both just rich in a way that like boomers in the GTA are rich. They have like expensive like houses that weren't expensive. I don't I guess I don't know what Bonnie Crombie's house is, but like there's just like so many people in their age bracket that are like randomly worth $5 million. So I wonder if that like does that attack work? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like I remember the oh gosh, was it it was a, a federal election, maybe the one where Aaron O'Toole was running um as as or Andrew Shear. It was one of those two. And I remember a conservative strategist saying that they were like knocking on doors in the GTA, being like, isn't everything rough? Like, don't you want to get rid of Justin Trudeau? And it just seemed like a terrible line to to push because everybody just was sitting in a two and a half million dollar house. And it was like, yeah, well, no, not so bad. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of votes to activate from people, generally speaking, a lot of votes to activate from people who don't think things are going too well. Because, I mean, you know, when you're running against liberals, I mean, liberal, capital L liberal thing is largely like, you know, things are working okay. They could be better. We'll try to make them a bit better. But generally speaking, the system works. And so for all the people for whom the system does not work on some fundamental level and can recognize that, oh, no, there's some big structural problems here, I can certainly imagine that any trying, you know, someone who tries to echo that anger or try to channel that can find a lot of people to support that, especially people who might not otherwise vote or engage. But I mean, that that's something that really that really only works when you know, when you're running against the party that is currently in power because you can blame them for like being indifferent to the deteriorating situation around you. You know, when you're the one who's been in, in charge by, you know, the PCs will have been in charge for eight years, presumably by the time of the next election, that attack of like, fuck those guys who whatever, like I, I, it, it, it definitely loses resonance when they're the ones who've been accumulating scandals and, you know, have just simply have been the ones operating the system in which people are, or at least perceive themselves to be, worse off than before. And like, has Doug Ford even changed taxes very much? Like, there's so much in that ad about tax, tax, tax. Like, the taxes are the same, man. Uh, I guess they like are cutting the gas tax, but ultimately, <laughs> I don't think it's that different than when the liberals were in power on that particular front. Rob Ford's thing was that he liked people but didn't really care if people liked him. And Doug Ford's thing is that he doesn't like people but he really, really, really wants to be liked. And I feel like that governs – you have to remember those things in terms of the, the relationships he builds and in terms of how you work with him politically. He he really wants approval. Like he's never going to show affection unless he feels that – you are showing him affection. And even then, it's not affection. It's more of a part of the transactional relationship. And so to think about like the different ways and different approaches he's reacted to and tussled with and butted heads with or found themselves on the same sides counterintuitively with several mayors, particularly in the GTA, it is interesting to think of like all their parallel and intersecting, which I guess is impossible. Think of all their their strange histories and all the insecurities and emotions and all the stuff loaded into all of that, all of which is to say, yeah, politics is fuck. It's like, yeah, it's personalities filtered through politics, filtered through policies, and then we have to live with all of that. So uh, what should we name after Doug Ford? Ontario Place. <laughs> 
subway line. I guess you don't really name subway lines after people, but you can. It'd be interesting if Doug Ford gets something named after him before Kathleen Wynne does, because they haven't named anything after her. I think there might be a Dalton McGinty Public School, but that's all he's got. Nothing that impressive. I would suggest Highway 413. Perfect. Doug Ford Memorial Highway. Remote, kind of empty, kind of a waste, but also kind of like annoying that a lot of people are probably going to have some sort of weird, complicated relationship with. Strong mayors beating traffic. And that was Like the Doug, a show about random grudges. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Blue Sky at, I don't know how the Blue Sky, Goldsby, and then with some series of characters and things, and occasionally hosting Shortcuts, which is the media criticism show that comes out Thursdays on the Mean Candleland feed. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Queen's Park Today. Our producer is Katie Lohr, and at Jofo is our managing editor. Karen Pugliese is our editor-in-chief, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley. Our podcast is listener supported. Go to CanadaLand.com slash join to help us keep this podcast going. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.